KPFB in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno. You can also listen online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness. From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys, there's your picture Drop the shadows out of sight This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is Tuesday... August the 9th, 2005. Oh, listening to Ricks and Torum last week. I must be a masochist. Yes, he's right about women. We're masochists. Yes, these guys, you know, I... I keep telling myself that ignorance is bliss and I should just uh, zone out and forget they exist. Can't do it, can't do it. Eric Santorum, the senator from Pennsylvania on C-SPAN, he's got a book out called It Takes a Family. <laughs> he's telling the public that our country is doomed. We will not survive if there's no dad in the home, he says. Yeah, you know the bit. He says that the feminists are out to destroy the family. Wacko, absurdo, stupidisms. This guy's ignorance almost subdues my patience. I catch myself screaming, raving. Uh, what was it uh, Robin Morgan used to say? She said, just as Jimmy Baldwin uh, couldn't get through a day in America without seething with rage, she too, uh, every time she looked around, you know, the, the pain we must not. Must not give way to anger. Uh, what is that? Denise Levertov says there comes a time, though, when only anger is love. Uh, do we have to say it over and over and over again? What feminists are trying to do is save women's lives, children's lives, men's lives. We have to review our notes, folks. It's time to review our notes. Back to square one. Back to feminism one a. <laughs> Let's look. I, I have a wonderful book called The Essential Historical Writings, Feminism, Essays, Fiction, Memoirs, Letters by all the sensible women, you know, Virginia Woolf, uh, Emma Goldman, Frederick Engels, John Stuart Mill, uh, Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner in Truth, George Sand, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Mary Wollstonecraft, Abigail Adams, yes. Remember the ladies, she said to John Adams. He said, oh, Lord, that tribe. He said, that's half the nation. Okay. It's right about that. I want to tell you a little bit today about Margaret Sanger. I'm sure most KPFA listeners are familiar with the historical background. Uh, 
I was writing a letter. I think I'll write a letter to Rick Santorum's wife and a letter to Laura Bush. I'll try the more in sorrow than in anger. I'll try that tone. And, of course, our two senators, let's see, uh, both Jewish women, we hope that they are grounded and don't have any evangelical angst. Uh, Margaret Sanger, I have two dates. Uh, let's see, one book tells me she was born in 1883 and one in uh, 1879. Who knows? I think of her as roughly parent to my mother. My mother was born in 1902. Margaret Sanger died in 1966 in Tucson, and I can't believe I didn't go and find her in the nursing home and say thank you. Anyway, she dedicated her book, Woman and the New Race, to the memory of her mother. Uh, the book was published in 1920. She says that her mother, Margaret Sanger's mother gave birth to 11 living children, and her mother died at the age of 48. Margaret Sanger's work as a public health nurse uh, brought her into contact with the disastrous economic and physical effects on poor women and on their families of uncontrolled fertility. Oh, tell us about it. It is still a global condition. In Afghanistan, folks, there are more uh, deaths in childbirth than in any other nation on earth, Afghanistan, yet. Anyway, for Margaret, it became her life's mission to give to every woman the right to control her own body. Say it and say it and say it. It seems so simple, but obviously... Ah, it's the hardest thing to do in Europe. Margaret Sanger studied the history of birth control. She visited clinics in Holland. Uh, in Holland, doctors and nurses had been dispensing contraceptives since 1881. Now, we're talking diaphragms here. The Japanese, actually, I think, had perfected a much better uh, condom early in the 20th century uh I have a note here. My mother was proud of uh, the fact that uh, it was her people in Holland, uh, the Dutch, uh, who were the first to uh, have modern methods of birth control. And even today, I read, uh, let's see, it was last year, 2004, the statistics uh, tell us that there are uh, nine times as many unwanted pregnancies in the United States as in Holland. In Holland, only one-ninth the number of young women wind up having an unwanted pregnancy. Uh, so they must be doing something right education-wise and birth control-wise. None of your abstinence-only nonsense. Uh, okay, I'm going back to the uh, material on Margaret Sanger. On her return to the United States in 1915, that is after she'd visited Europe and Holland, she launched a massive campaign to break down legal barriers. Uh, she wanted to uh, disseminate the contraceptive information and devices. She wanted the doctors to do it, and of course, you know how helpful they are. <laughs> some were, some weren't. Birth control to Margaret Sanger was a part, the most important part, of the struggle to liberate women. I was thinking the other day I made a list. Uh, 
Most of the writers seem to be grappling with marriage, but I think the more uh, the more grounded working class women knew that it was all about the baby. The struggle for liberation, as Margaret Sanger expressed it, the right to voluntary motherhood was woman's key to the temple of liberty. Yes. Okay, let me read you a little excerpt from her book, published in 1920, Woman and the New Race. She writes, the most far-reaching social development of modern times is the revolt of woman against sex servitude. The most important force in the remaking of the world, is a free motherhood. Okay, let's see. 1920, 85 years. And the same thing is still true today. Now, you may find that there are some some attitudes here that are not quite in the 21st century, but I, I find that nothing has changed. It's all, all of this applies directly to the situation in which women find themselves today. Margaret Sanger goes on to write, Only in recent years has woman's position as the gentler and weaker half of the human family been emphatically and generally questioned. Men assumed that this was woman's place. Woman herself accepted it. It seldom occurred to anyone to ask whether she would go on occupying it forever. Uh, and then there's a great deal of material here about suffrage and the red, the regulation of working hours and property rights and all the things that women needed to struggle for, but none of their demands uh, affected directly the most vital factor of her existence. Right. Uh, woman's acceptance of her inferior status was the more real because it was unconscious. She had chained herself to her place in society and family through the maternal functions of her nature. And only chains thus strong could have bound her to her lot. As a brood animal, yes. Uh, the masculine civilizations of the world demanded it. Okay, I have a footnote here. I love George Bernard Shaw's spin. He said, it is impossible to get women to take off their chains if their chains are respectable. Anyway, woman accepted her function, weaker and gentler half and all that nonsense. Uh, caught in this vicious circle, woman has, through her reproductive ability, founded and perpetuated the tyrannies of the earth. Got that, folks? Uh, as we say in my circles, uh, we make them and the guys break them. That's what war is all about, right? We create cannon fodder for them to play with. Now, whether it's the tyranny of monarchy, tyranny of an oligarchy, or a republic, the one indispensable factor of its existence was, as it is now, hordes of human beings, human beings so plentiful as to be cheap, and so cheap that ignorance is their natural lot, upon the rock of an unenlightened, submissive maternity, have these been founded, upon the product of such maternity have they flourished." Again, another footnote from my favorite um, writer on this subject, Emma Goldman, who says over and over, she says, a worldwide ignorant motherhood may be a greater danger to the race than a worldwide ignorant military. Okay, now, uh, Margaret Sanger goes on to tell us that today, that's 1920, 
Women are rising in fundamental revolt. Millions of women are asserting their right to voluntary motherhood. They are determined to decide for themselves whether they shall become mothers, under what conditions and when. This is a fundamental revolt. Yes, the key to liberty, key to the temple of liberty. Even as birth control is the means by which woman attains basic freedom, so it is the means by which she must and will uproot the evil she has wrought through her submission as she has unconsciously and ignorantly brought about social disaster, so must and will she consciously and intelligently undo that disaster and create a new and better order. Okay, um, there's a great deal more here about the obstacles hindering the discharge of our obligation. <laughs> the legal barriers, the dark age laws... Uh, the fact that we are still denied knowledge of our reproductive nature. That was certainly true in 1920 and even today. So many young women haven't the faintest notion what their biology is all about. Uh, such knowledge, writes Margaret Sanger, is indispensable to intelligent motherhood. And she must achieve it despite the absurd statutes and equally absurd moral canons. I was thinking of... Uh, TV film I saw the other day about a teenager in Texas. <laughs> oh, dear, the notion that um, today's young women should live in such abysmal ignorance is unbelievable. The abstinence-only conditions that uh, uh, the funding for sex education depends on abstinence-only. Uh, teaching, uh, the most serious bearer is her own ignorance uh, until she knows the evil her subjection has wrought to herself, to her progeny, and to the world at large. Woman cannot wipe out that evil. Most women who belong to the workers' families have no accurate or reliable knowledge of contraceptives. They are bringing children into the world so rapidly that they, their families, and their class are overwhelmed with the numbers. They have come, yes, and brought with them the want, the disease, the hard living conditions and general misery of the workers. Women of this class are the greatest sufferers of all. And more and more here about the labor unions and, uh, yes, about, uh, oh, oh, let's call it man's inhumanity to woman makes countless thousands mourn. Margaret Sanger writes, it is the woman who suffers first from hunger, the woman whose clothing is least adequate, the woman who must work all hours, even though she is not compelled, as in the case of millions, to go into a factory. Um, it is she, too, whose health breaks first, and most hopelessly under the long hours of work. The drain of frequent childbearing, constant nursing of babies... There are no eight-hour laws to protect the mother against overwork and toil in the home. No laws to protect her against ill health and the diseases of pregnancy and reproduction. And here I have about four, four pages of footnotes stuffed into this book about the ills and horrors of female genital mutilation and what that does to women's reproductive uh, health. Okay. 
There are no general health statistics to tell the full story of the physical ills suffered by women as a result of too great reproductivity. We can get some light upon conditions through statistics on maternal mortality. And then she goes on, uh, United States Department of Labor, and uh, she says the figures do not include the deaths of women suffering from diseases complicated by pregnancy. Okay. Oh, just one example. In 1913, in this country, at least 15,000 women died from conditions caused by childbirth. Uh, about 7,000 of these died from childbed fever. The remaining 8,000 from diseases now known to be, to a great extent, preventable or curable. Now, those of us who uh, remember those statistics know that <laughs> most of the time, yes, septicemia or childbirth fever was a disease that resulted from the fact that doctors used to go from the cadavers in the basement to the childbed without washing their hands. And, of course, she goes on to explain that the figures are a great underestimate. Needless deaths, on and on and on. Uh, okay, she goes on to, to talk about the ways in which the doctors, um, let's say, uh, glossed over the facts and uh, the problems uh, of women who become pregnant while suffering from tuberculosis. Today we have all kinds of new um, drug-resistant forms of tuberculosis and Yes, she goes on about syphilis, the kidney and heart disorders, and so forth. Uh, oh, what a bitter pill. Nobody wants to know all this. Everybody knows all this already. Uh, Sanger goes on to say, what sort of homes uh, produce these deaths? Most of them occur in overcrowded dwellings. Um, Good Lord, the wretched of the earth, you know. She goes on to describe the deadly chain of misery that is all too plain to anybody, anyone who takes the trouble to observe. She says a woman of the working class marries. She lives in a degree of comfort until the children come. And then she goes on to describe the uh, downhill progression and uh, the chances of the child's uh, dying as well. Uh, Women who have a knowledge of contraceptives are not compelled to make this choice between a maternal experience and a marred love life. She's going on to tell us that, of course, uh, it is impossible for a man and a woman to go on having a, a humane existence uh, when they are uh, burdened with this kind of anguish. Uh, she says that True companionship with a husband, friends, uh, from uh, those you love, surrounding yourself with all the manifold experiences which are necessary to the completeness and joy of life. These demand that we, of course, control our pregnancies. She writes, fit mothers of the race are these, the courted comrades of the men they choose rather than slaves of slaves. Theirs is the magic power, the power of limiting their families to such numbers as will permit them to live full-rounded lives. Such lives are the expression of the feminine spirit, which is woman, all of woman. Not merely her art, her professional skill, her intellect, but all that woman is or may achieve. Thousands of well-intentioned people who agree that there are times and conditions under which it is woman's highest duty to avoid having children advocate 
continence as the one permissible means of birth control. Okay, here again, uh, 85 years later, we have the same nonsense, the same uh, weird behavior on the part of the abstinence-only sex educators, uh, the evangelicals. uh, And Margaret Sanger draws the obvious conclusion that most of us uh, understand perfectly, she writes, that loathing, disgust, or indifference to the sex relationship nearly always lies behind the advocacy to continence. I'll repeat that. This is about uh, the fear and loathing of sex itself. Uh, sexual needs, right? She writes, loathing, disgust, or indifference to the sex relationship nearly always lies behind the advocacy to continence. Much of the responsibility for this feeling upon the part of many thousands of women must be laid to 2,000 years of Christian teaching. Christian teaching that all sex expression is unclean. Part of it, too, must be laid to the dominant male's habit of violating the love rights of his mate. The habit referred to grows out of the assumed and legalized right of husbands to have sexual satisfaction at any time, regardless of the wife's feelings. Law of the state upholds him in this regard. A husband need not support a wife if she refuses to comply with his sexual demands. Okay. And she goes on to describe the sorry state of affairs that arises from this, let's call it, imbalance. Um, And she goes on to explain that women often... (laughs) Women often fall into this. Yes, they they take us. They have a sense of superiority if they uh, look down upon the physical, and even uh, have uh, feelings of superiority towards women uh, who also have sexual desires. Uh, yes, uh, her conclusion, of course, is that as a means of birth control, continence is as impractical for most people as it is undesirable. She says, there are methods which are both harmless and certain. Uh, More and more perfect means of preventing conception will be developed, she writes, as women insist upon them. Every woman should make it plain to her physician that she expects him to be informed upon this subject. She should refuse to accept evasive answers. Got that? An increasing demand upon physicians will inevitably result in laboratory researches and experimentation. She goes on to suggest all the ways in which we can make great progress so that we are not dependent on uh, males. Uh, Women should be able to uh, take care of themselves as far as all the contraceptive measures go. And today, of course, we know that this can save their lives, uh, what with STDs and so forth, Uh, She goes on to write, uh, Margaret Sanger goes on to write, sneers and jests at birth control are giving way to a reverent understanding of the needs of woman. They who today deny the right of a woman to control her own body speak with the hardihood of invincible ignorance or with the folly of those blind ones who in all ages have opposed the light of progress. As far back as 1900, I began to inquire of my associates among the nurses 
what one could tell these worried women who asked constantly, What can I do? It is the voice of the elemental urge of woman. It has always been there. Out of this cry came the birth control movement. And a few more pages here on economic conditions. The difficulties, I think, now of the uh, continual cutting back of resources for women's health, for uh, birth control, for abortion, for all of women's health needs. Uh, the basic freedom. After a year's study, writes Margaret Sanger, in foreign countries, I came back to the United States to open a clinic. She goes on to describe in great detail, uh, 1916, opened a clinic in Brooklyn. 480 women received information before the police closed the consulting rooms. Uh, they arrested uh, her, Margaret Sanger, and uh, a translator, a registered nurse, and some others. The purpose of the clinic was to demonstrate to the public the practicality and necessity of such institutions. All the women who came seeking information were working men's wives. All had children. No unmarried girls came at all. Men came whose wives had nursing children and could not come. Women came from the farther parts of Long Island, from cities in Massachusetts and Connecticut, even more distant places. Mothers brought their married daughters. Some of the women whose ages were from 25 to 35 looked 50. The clinic gave them new hope to face the years ahead. Um, these women invariably expressed their love for children, but voiced a common plea for means to avoid others in order that they might give sufficient care to those already born. And she goes on to describe the police and being hauled off <laughs> as a criminal and thrown in jail. And yes, Ethel Byrne instituted a hunger strike for 11 days, attracting attention throughout the nation, and so forth and so on. Uh, Governor Whitman actually pardoned Mrs. Byrne. Let me see. Let me tell you what. Uh, uh, there's a, a wonderful quote here from H.G. Uh, Wells. He writes, Alexander the Great, he, he writes of Margaret Sanger, Alexander the Great changed a few boundaries and killed a few men. Both he and Napoleon were forced into fame by circumstances outside of themselves and by currents of the time. But Margaret Sanger, Margaret Sanger made currents and circumstances. When the history of our civilization is written, it will be a biological history, and Margaret Sanger will be its heroine. I know most of us don't like to uh, hear it said that our history is biological. <laughs> yes. Tell it to the, the new bacteria, yes, the ones who are, are resistant to the new drugs. Uh, all history is biology. From two billion to six billion lives, souls in my lifetime, folks. I remember what the great poet Edna St. Vincent Millay once wrote. I have it inscribed upon my wall over my typewriter. She writes, whether or not we find what we are seeking is idle, biologically speaking. You can find um, Margaret Sanger written up almost everywhere. Uh, she was the first, well, let us call her the first modern uh, birth control advocate. Uh, she lived until 1966 and fought the great fight, the good fight. History is on her side, 
And let us hope, let us hope that it is still possible to turn this thing around. Uh, History is happening, and we will see. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on KPFA Thursday morning at 8, 8.20. Till then, go easy and read up on the early feminists. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rules. Have the weapons of mass deception fogged your better judgment? We know that Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons and has used chemical weapons. We know that. Some remedy the problem by going to the source. Others go for a different perspective on events. Informe preliminar de la CIA confirma que no hay armas de destrucción masiva en Irak. La ONU debate su reestructuración. At KPFA, we are through the fog. Support your community station by paying your pledge. 